This is Without Compromise, a show that explores what happens when you won't settle for anything less than your crazy ideas. We'll talk to athletes, founders, adventurers, and entrepreneurs of all kinds about living without compromise. I'm your host, Mason Gravely. Welcome to the show. We're programmed for survival, so our instinct is to give up on these situations, to move away from them. I thought if I didn't sign up for that race, that I was just going to disappear. It doesn't have to be these big, huge things that everyone thinks you need to do to make a difference. When Jordan DeSico, the youngest of the three DeSico brothers, decided to start a coffee company in his dorm room, the other two brothers were understandably a little concerned, especially when Jordan started talking about dropping out of school for this project. After seeing just how obsessed the people around Jordan were after he made this coffee concoction, the other two brothers were pretty excited about the opportunity to the point that they decided together to go full in and make this thing happen. The company they came up with? Super Coffee. And if you know anything about Athletic Brewing Store, you know about a month ago today, we released a beer with Super Coffee called Souped Up. It's a coffee-infused dark brew that was crafted in collaboration with Super Coffee. And it's the world's first pre-workout brew made to drink before your activity, and it's packed with protein and carbs to get you ready for whatever you're about to do. And today we're sitting down with Jimmy DeSico, the oldest of the DeSico brothers, to talk about what it was like from his perspective to see this thing unfold, to jump on board and to take the reins as the chief brand officer, what it's like working with your two brothers, and where they're going next. So sit back, strap in, and get souped up because we're about to dive in to the super coffee story. But before we dive in, if you want to try Souped Up, hurry, because the first batch sold out so fast it wasn't even funny. We had to make more. It actually sold out so fast we made more, and it's still available at our website, athleticbrewing.com. All right, let's dive in. All right, the first time, folks, I ever had Super Coffee was at a Spartan race, and I saw it, it just stood out, man. It stood out. You know, we stand out a lot with the big blue tent and the blue branding. And y'all stood out with like this white branding and like a gold stripe. Spartan, as you know, it's like a lot of dark colors. It's almost like metal or grunge. Uh, and, it, it, and a lot of the brands that are associated fit in, you know, kind of kind of blend in with all that. And, and the other brand that I noticed that really stood out was Super Coffee. And so we have Jimmy here, the CEO, the the oldest of the three brothers here with Super Coffee. So that was my introduction to the brand. That was probably a year and a half ago. But uh, Jimmy, welcome to the show. Rock on, man, dude! It made me smile when you uh, you took a sip of your Super Coffee to kick off here today. Oh, but yeah, man. grateful to be here, Mason. Thank you very much for uh, for having me on. Oh, absolutely, dude. So you know, it, it's I know you've been interviewed a ton of times, man. This is such an exciting journey. I'm so glad we're working together, but I, I want to hear a little bit about the founding story of Super Coffee. This was your youngest brother's idea, but tell us about when it started in that journey for you. But first start with like the basics of where Super Coffee got started and how you started to realize this was going to be something I'm going to jump into myself. For sure, man. So it goes goes back to 2015. Uh, my my youngest brother Jordan was finishing his freshman year at Philadelphia University, where he was the, the starting point guard on the basketball team. Uh, full scholarship kid, you know, and and he had an old school coach, and his his coach would get them up early, 5 a.m. practices, late nights in the library, 
uh, and Jordan was grinding, you know, and, and he was tired and falling asleep in class and he didn't want to drink a Starbucks Frappuccino or a, a Java monster energy drink that were loaded with sugar and calories and didn't really give him the energy he needed. So uh, in his dorm room, he started making his own concoctions, if you will, you know, adding a bunch of adaptogens and nootropics and, and biohacking ingredients into his coffees, um, the butter, the MCT oil, the protein. And eventually he, he came up with a recipe that included protein. It included MCT oil, which is healthy fats and coconuts. Uh, it was sugar free, but sometimes sweetened with monk fruit or stevia. Uh, and it gave him the energy he needed to, to, to survive, not only survive, but thrive at practice and in the library. And he, he called it super coffee and he started selling it to his teammates because they saw his energy and they wanted some of that too. And heading into his sophomore year, summer of 2015, he, he called me up and said, Hey man, you know, I love basketball. Basketball is my passion. I wanted to go to the NBA, but I see a huge opportunity here in the bottled coffee industry. Starbucks is doing $2 billion a year. There's not a close second in the category. There is no healthy alternatives. There are no performance coffees in this bottled coffee space. Uh, but I can't do this as a student athlete. So I'm dropping out of school to go sell coffee. And I was like, what the hell are you talking about? Shut up and get back to practice. You know, and, and <laughs> yeah. he, uh, it's like, it's like classic, you know, big brother move right there. You're like, what are you doing, man? Get, what are you talking yeah, about? You're crazy. on scholarship. You know, like, you're almost done. Just get through it. What were you? Totally, I mean, you must have thought he was going nuts, right? Well, and it was all. Uh, this was all foreign to me, you know. Like, and and my whole family. My, my, we don't come from entrepreneurs. We didn't know anything about the beverage industry. You know, our dad's a construction guy. Our mom was at worked at the YMCA back then, and it was it was one of those things where it was just I couldn't comprehend what he was saying. But I, one thing that scared me is I realized his sort of obsessive mentality or personality shifted from basketball to this coffee project. And I was like, there's no convincing him otherwise. So I was like, look, man, I'll join you for, for three months and make sure you get the business set up, make sure you get the right people around you. I'll help you raise money. And then I'm going to go back into the real world. And, uh, that is when, I mean, I, I said that to him in August of 2015, and here we are in February of 2023, and I'm, I'm still at Super Coffee, so uh, we're, we're still building. What would you say your relationship as brothers were at that time? Standard relationship, got along with them, probably fought growing up like any, any brother or sibling would, but for the most part, did y'all all three get along at that point? Yeah, at that point we did. That was probably the weirdest point in our lives because for the first 18 years of my life, I guess 15 when when Jordan was born, uh, we were we lived together obviously in the household that we grew up in, and uh, mom and dad would raise us, take us on vacations. You know, we'd go to football practice and baseball and basketball together. We did everything together. You know, we we're best friends. So I, I'm two and a half years older than Jordan, and I'm less than a year older than Jake. So three boys within three years. Um, uh, and when you're a 15 year old and you have a 12 year old little brother, that's a big age gap. Right. But now today I'm 30 and Jordan's 27. Like we're, we're peers. Uh, so, so back then I was trying to be the cool big brother. I didn't want to hang out with my little brother. You know, it's like he, him and his friends were annoying. Uh, but we were always best friends. The reason I said that was a weird time for us in our lives is we had all gone off to college and that was the first time we didn't live together. We didn't see each other every day. And as dudes, we weren't really checking in. How are you feeling? Miss you? Love you? Like we weren't doing that. You know, we'd see each other at the holidays and we'd work out over the summertime. Um, so it was, it was, I think, exciting for me to get back with my brothers through this coffee project. 
what about it gave you the maybe the confidence to jump into it? You know what I mean? Leaving a job in finance, a career that you were just starting to build. Why jump out of that for this idea that your little brother has in his dorm room? Yeah, yeah, and that's an important detail you you mentioned that I didn't I didn't cover. But uh, I had graduated in May of 2015, and I was working on Wall Street as a, a financial analyst at a big real estate firm. And I studied philosophy. You know, I was the captain of the football. <laughs> Dude, I was going to ask about that. Actually, what? I mean, your your career was doomed from the beginning. Totally. <laughs> but how did you go from philosophy into finance? By the way. Yeah, yeah, and this ties back into your question of what gave me confidence. I think the for me, I didn't know what I wanted to do. Like most twenty twenty most 22 year old kids coming out of college. And I knew that uh, an opportunity in real estate or finance or both, it puts you on a career to be successful. And back then success to me was making a lot of money. And, and you see a lot of uh, alum from, from my university out there in those industries that do really well, you know, they show up to football practice or football games, driving fancy cars, some of them flying in on private jets. And I'm like, all right, well, I don't know anything about real estate or finance, but if, it, if I can get me that, that lifestyle, that seems interesting. Um, obviously, the wrong way to, to approach any type of career, I think now in hindsight, I say, obviously, uh, three months in, I was like, this is not for me. You know, my, my, I'm grinding 12 hours a day, sometimes 18 hours a day, making rich people richer. There's no purpose. There's no passion. There's none of that. Uh, and that is when Jordan approached me with the coffee idea. And so it wasn't like, I had the confidence to say, oh, I'm going to be great at this. You know, I'm going to I'm going to leave this life and go build a billion dollar business with my brothers. It was like I'm at a crossroads because I don't like the real estate finance thing. So let me go help out for a little while. Uh, it, it was more naive optimism than anything. And it, I guess the confidence was like I got three years of life experience on Jordan and on my little brother. So I can just help him build connections, build relationships, get the business set up and then I'll go do something else. So it was more from that perspective. And then, I mean, like I said, eight years later, we're still here figuring it out. How about Jake's involvement? I know I know Jordan kind of came up with this idea. It was, you know, the tinker I've heard you say before about like figuring out the formula and, and really playing with the product itself. You come from that understanding of the business side on uh, the finances. What, where, when did Jake get involved? Where, where along the story? Jake got up involved before I did because that summer before Jordan made the decision to, to drop out of school, uh, he, he called Jake in like April of that year and was like, Hey man, I got this idea for a coffee company. Want to get it started. Jake was playing football at Georgetown university at the time going in from his junior to senior year that summer, Georgetown business school offered, it was called startup Hoyas. It was like a summer accelerator program. You pitch your, your students pitch their ideas and the, the school gives you resources to, to, to build it. Yep. So they, they won that contest. They got into that contest and had like a little incubator at Georgetown that year. Uh, and when Jordan made the decision to drop out of school, Jake was heading into a senior football season. You know, he had a great career down at Georgetown. And God bless him for having the discipline to, and, and to say, hey, man, I'm, I'm two semesters away from a Georgetown degree and I want to go play football with my buddies. So I'm not dropping out of school, but I will dedicate every free hour I have, you know, as a college student athlete, there's not many of them. So a credit to Jake. I mean, on the weekends, before practices, uh, after practice, he was making deliveries, pouring samples, doing whatever we needed him to do while he finished his senior year at Georgetown. What were your parents thinking about all this? Were you talking to them about it? Were they asking about it? Um, what did, what did Big Jim and, and Kirsten think about this? That's right, Big Jim and Kier. 
man, they they were kind of shocked, you know. And like I said, it was foreign to all of us. There was no, there was nothing strategic about us starting a beverage company. You know, it's not like my dad worked at Coca Cola and my mom worked at a venture capital firm. Like it, we didn't have any anything that helped us get started here. Uh, so I think they were panicking because they didn't know what we were getting into. And from their perspective, their job was set. You know, their oldest son had a great job on Wall Street. Jordan was a full scholarship kid. All three boys were out of the house. Like they freaking did it, man. Like yeah. they did it. They were all you know, on their they were way. Late, <laughs> totally. They were in their late forties, you know, freaking about to like get comes along. Totally, totally. Life was good for them. So like they I think they had a bit of a panic attack. You know, they this uh, I mean they couldn't believe it, you know, and and uh obviously they support us and and uh we they, they taught us a lot of good lessons about work ethic and teamwork and and just being committed um throughout our childhood and uh before long they were our biggest fans in the factory with us sweeping the floors filling bottles with with super coffee so whatever they could do to help over the years especially in those early months uh they were they were always there for us man I, that blows my mind three out of three kids there's no other siblings I, at least i haven't read about any others That'd be strange, right? If we yeah, had like I, was like, I was like, I was like, is there like a, a sister somewhere or another brother that just didn't yeah. join and y'all never hear about him or something? Yeah. It seems what they really did for y'all was instill principles and discipline, at least just hearing some stories and reading about that. Um, why do you think y'all are so different from them in that sense of taking those risks? Is it just, I don't know. You tell me, what, what, what do you think? Why? Yeah, it's a great question. I've never been asked that before. I think so. I think we're different in how we applied our values and our skills and our characteristics. But I think we're identical with our parents and what those values and skills and and sort of approach is meaning like my mom was so far ahead of her time man. like before podcasting was cool and people were meditating and journaling and doing all that shit. Like she would wake up every day. She would express gratitude. She, we're not really religious. My, my mom prays to somebody, you know, I don't, I don't know who, uh, uh, but she would do, she would do like the, the Tim Ferriss prescription for a perfect morning without even knowing who Tim Ferriss was. Right. She'd wake up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. She'd express her gratitude. She'd journal. She'd go for a five mile run. She'd drink her coffee. You know, she, she like had this thing and every day she would write a quote on the board in our, uh, in our kitchen, like a little, little quote for all of us. So like yeah. kick today's ass, you know, some, something like that. Sometimes it was a poem. Sometimes it was Maya Angelou and it was always positive and uplifting. And it like kind of just set us up to be successful that day. Each day was set up where we'd go out, we'd feel good attacking the day. You know, we'd be inspired and motivated to lead our teammates or our classmates. And, uh, that's just kind of how it was. And, and I think, sports was like we expressed those lessons as athletes um sports was an easy easy sort of uh arena for us to to sort of excel at because of the way our parents raised us and then uh we just applied those lessons to this this super coffee thing you know building a business like we treat this as we're we're playing in the, the championship every day did your dad prescribe to that mindset too and that positivity um no i think my dad was more of like a macho macho sort of tough guy you know like most dads are uh not really expressing his his emotions we didn't really have like the relationship with our dad where he'd kiss us on the cheek and tell us he loves us you know he, he obviously loved us but we just didn't express it that way um what my dad and mom did share is uh compassion and kindness for others you know we would always have uh kids in the house who were less fortunate than us, you know, sleepovers, feeding them, getting them clothes, things like that. 
uh, and they were our best friends, but my, my parents were always quick to welcome people who needed welcoming into the house. And then my dad was sort of gung ho on hard work. You know, he, he taught us early on to, uh, not only be the, the first person to win the sprints at football practice, but be the first person who hustles to the water cooler when the drill is over, just always moving, always going, always doing more, um, and putting in that extra time. So, uh, my dad definitely played a big part in, in our work ethic or instilling that work ethic in us at an early age. So I'm sure growing up, there were kind of roles you played, uh, with, within just the family and brotherhood and you know when you played games or did anything creative did you find that those roles are what you ended up playing at at super coffee over time because i know i did hear you talk about the fact that like the roles you're in now just kind of naturally happened was that basically a growth or extension from childhood like and i'll I'll take the ceo role you kind of take sales you kind of kind of take marketing whatnot did it translate yeah, man. I think it, in like, I didn't realize this until recently, like within the last 12 months, how those roles translated because naturally we did fall into roles, but a lot of it was based on our personality. And a lot of our personalities are based on our birth order. You know, like I'm the oldest child. I, for, for one full year of my life, my, my parents uh, gave me all of their attention, you know, and, and they would cheer for everything I did. My first steps, my first sounds, my, every time I do something good, I would get celebrated. And, and, uh, I think as a firstborn, there's books and research on this stuff that like, I feel inherently feel pressure to perform, you know, pressure to be, be great, make my parents proud. A lot of firstborns are perfectionists. I definitely have some of those tendencies. I want to take care of others. I want to lead like all of that was sort of happened naturally, uh, just in, within our, our birth order and our, our household growing up. Jake, the, the middle child, is, is our head of sales, our chief revenue officer. Um, and middle children are usually more social, more uh, free-willed, you know, more, more uh, the life of the party type figure, which actually makes him, qualifies him to be a great salesperson and sales leader. And then Jordan, the youngest, is the, the entrepreneur, the founder, the tinkerer, the inventor, you know, which is uh, often common of, of founders and, and entrepreneurs, um, those who, who are, are, are the youngest in their family. One, one guy who we got to meet along the way, Kevin Plank, the founder of Under Armour, is also the youngest child, you know, so I don't know what it is about that. But anyways, we, yeah, we sort of fell naturally into these divisions of labor, divisions of responsibility at Super Coffee. And that's the only reason this works. You know, if all three of us tried to be the CEO or the the innovator creating the next product, don't, we we would have we would have killed each other. You know, we all, we all contribute ideas and feedback to to every decision, uh, but I think we each kind of stay in our lane and and own our responsibilities. Conflict resolution too is probably unique since you've had so much time. To, to work on that, like literally 20 years before you did this or 25 even or 26. I don't even know. Like, like you just got a lot of experience with each other and the personalities. So I'm sure conflict resolution is, is different there amongst each other than it is at a lot of companies that are co-founded by, you know, pretty much complete strangers up until they start a business together. You, you and I talked about this um, when we, when we first connected a couple of weeks ago, but as brothers, like 
you're having fist fights in the backyard during a one-on-one basketball game, you know, when, when you're growing up, you know, like you're, you're really getting into it with each other because you're heated, you know, your family, like that's just how it goes. Every family has, has those intense emotional moments. Uh, and then when, when we started super coffee, some of that definitely carried over, you know, like, but it was all about subjective things. Like what color should the label be? What should we, how should we describe this flavor? What should the flavor name be? Uh, and we'd get in fights like it's not a caramel latte. That's a stupid idea. It should be a caramel frappuccino, you know, like stuff like that that got heated. We quickly learned that it was unproductive and, and we set up guardrails uh, for productive feedback sessions and, and delivering communication with tact and candor, you know, so, so that that became like we had to learn that early on in our careers at Super Coffee. Uh, and that's been critical because now like whenever one of the brothers approaches one another brother like with a a a piece of feedback to be delivered we sort of listen calmly we know that they're coming from a place that is nothing but positive intent wants to make the business better uh it's not a personal attack on us you know it's it's uh really nice candid feedback that uh frankly we we don't usually see for ourselves well tell us a little bit about kind of the goals from the beginning like I, I know this is a lot of a lot more founder story than we've done before but I, I just think it's so cool it's such a unique circumstance in a lot of ways it, it, tell us about some of those major major moments early on that really got your I, I don't know what your focus was or like your vision your horizon early on was it just to like make a living uh, or was it like global aspirations like it is now Tell us where you were in the first couple of years of starting this. And if it wasn't global, what led to kind of opening up that vision to be, you know, an, an international brand? We had big aspirations and ambitions from the beginning. You know, we wanted to be a billion dollar brand. We wanted to get there quickly. Um, I think we, at the time we were reading the headlines and we were close to the stories of the vitamin waters that sold to Coke for $4 billion or the buy beverages that, that sold to Dr. Pepper for 1.7 billion, you know, and we're like, nobody's done this in coffee yet. You know, we could be the, the guys, the, the team that does that. Uh, so I think the, the aspirations were there, how we got there was unclear, uh, but we wanted to get there quickly. And in the beverage industry, like gross margins are tight. You know, the, the, the price you sell to consumers for is very small from a total dollar ring. You know, you could buy a super coffee at the grocery store for three dollars on that three dollars as a as the manufacturer. We only make a dollar seventy five of that, you know, and, and after you cover your cost of goods sold, you're pretty much playing with 50 or 60 cents to cover all your other expenses. So it's expensive to get started and to grow quickly and get to that scale. We needed to raise a bunch of investment capital along the way. You know, we pitched on Shark Tank in 2018. We've we've closed three major financing rounds since then a series a series b series c uh raised over 100 million bucks these last few years to scale uh and then the last piece about about your question is like the once you achieve a milestone a million in sales 10 million in sales 50 million in sales what you think is possible just becomes greater and greater you know the the goal line just keeps moving farther away it's like holy we did 50 million last year you know like let's Mm -hmm. Let's go do 100, right? Let's go do 500, right? Like, let's, we're, we're only in the US, but let's go to Mexico and then Canada and then freaking China, you know? Like, it, it, what what's possible just becomes greater and greater. Speaking of that, you, you mentioned in a, in a previous interview that China drinks, what, three times as many 
three times as much bottled coffee as the U.S., which blew my mind. So, like, talk about yeah. an opportunity there. Totally. China, Japan. I mean, bottled coffee was invented in Japan. I think per capita, it's Japan drinks five times more bottled coffee than U.S., uh, and China's got over a billion people in the country, right? So it's a it's a massive opportunity uh, to to approach that market and launch it the right way. I think, like anything else, it requires a lot of resources, a lot of thoughtful strategy, you know, a lot of cash, which is why we're still focused on building this brand in the U.S. Um, the other thing about winning in the U.S. is uh, U.S. is a trend-setting nation, right? People come to the U.S., they see what's cool here, athletic brewing, super coffee, Nike, you know, and they're like, wow, I want that. If the U.S. is doing that and it's cool and it's trendy, I, it must be cool for China or it must be cool for Japan. At what point did your parents go from, uh, you know, worry and apprehension about this idea to that they're on the right track? It, maybe they're not there. Maybe they're still worried. Maybe that's just being a parent. But it, do you think there was a moment for them or a time or an era where it was like, okay, they're, they're making this happen? Yeah. And, and their, their emotional roller coaster is probably definitely followed the same trajectory as ours. They're, they're still worried the same way we are about certain things. There became a point where the business became sort of incomprehensible to them. You know, when it was the, the three of us making deliveries out of a van doing $100,000 in sales, they could kind of get that. You yeah. know, they'd see where yeah. the product was made, they'd see how we'd invoice customers, they'd see how we'd stock shelves. Uh, but once you get into a big factory and raise money from venture capital firms, like those, these are all terms and things that were foreign to us, you know? So at a certain point they were like, they were just standing there rooting us on, you know, like they couldn't really give advice on where we go from here. Um, but they, they're proud every time we achieve a milestone, you know, in the early days it was, Hey, we got into one whole food store. Or, hey, we got a new co-packer or, Hey mom, we just raised money from these strangers. They're like, Holy it. somebody gave you a hundred thousand dollars right and then yeah, was a couple years ago because it's been a lot more than that <laughs> yeah it's been a lot more since then right and and that's the that's the thing right so their reaction to that first hundred thousand was pretty much the same to their reaction when we raised a hundred million you know it, it like it, it was just like wow i'm so proud of you guys i can't believe you did this and it goes back to what i was saying is like the more you achieve the more you accomplish the the bigger the sort of milestones or the bigger the the target becomes as you're chasing that target you mentioned something you know i, I you didn't have you obviously had experience in a lot of things when y'all started this and you had you know a, a few years of life experience outside of school but i mean there's still only so much you can fit into a couple years as far as what you get exposed to you've had to learn a lot along the way. I mean, just like any CEO, just like anybody and entrepreneur, there's so much, you don't know what you don't know. Uh, what's your process of self-education when it comes to educating yourself on, on fundraising or production processes or different ingredients or different trends that might be uh, applicable to these products, the, the innovations you wanna make? What's your process of self-education? And it's funny. I have a, I see a therapist once a week. I have every, every week since uh, 2020. And I just talked to him this morning about this. It's like, man, I'm, I'm learning so much, but the, the question, like I, I'm sort of overwhelmed by how much more there is to learn. Right. So the, the answer to the question is like baptism by fire, trial by fires, the general answer, you know, throw yourself into it and learn 
from the real world by, by gain, gaining those experiences and making mistakes. Uh, that was certainly a big part of our approach. The, the second piece to that from, from my process is reaching out for help and asking for help for those from a variety of sources, you know, people who have come before us in the beverage industry, in the food industry, uh, in the, the clothing industry, you know, folks who have unique experiences. And what I like to do when, when faced with a problem or a question, I'll go ask that question to four or five different credible sources who I trust, who have done this before, who are pretty esteemed in, in their careers. And then I'll sort of syndicate my, my own answer from that, uh, from that feedback that I get. And I love that because collectively you're getting a hundred years of experience from the folks you ask the questions about or ask the questions of, and then you apply a solution to, to the problems you specifically face. How do you go about making those requests? I'm sure it's just relationships you've built over time. Uh, but also at some point there's new people you got to reach out to that have new sets of skills and expertise. Yeah. Send them a yep. bunch of uh, super coffee, I guess, is a, is, is a way to open the door. <laughs> For sure. Yeah, no, that always send samples. Uh, I think having um, one being vulnerable, right? People appreciate authentic authenticity and vulnerability and vulnerability is simply admitting that you don't have the answers, right? Admitting that you need help. Uh, you'd be amazed at how many folks want to seem like they have all the answers or want to come off as they know what they're doing. And, and for me, like that's a foolish waste of time, right? If I don't know something, why would I pretend to know it? You know, it's pretending to know it is going to prevent me from learning it. So I think asking for help is, is a sign of vulnerability and people appreciate that. I think also our age, we used our age to our advantage. Like I would straight up say to these accomplished entrepreneurs, like, Hey man, this is when I was 22, 23, 24. Hey man, or woman, like we are uh, we've never done this before. You know, uh, we're, we're getting started. We got some good traction here and these accounts. What would you do if you were me? Right. Or, or what did you do when you were me? And people love that, you know, cause a, a lot of them have empathy for the journey, you know, and, and a lot of them saw their 23 year old selves in us getting started and they wanted to see us win. I think the, the, the most important piece is you don't waste people's time. And we learned this from Seth Goldman, like Seth, the founder of Honest Tea, never invested in us. We never gave him shares. He's not a formal advisor. He doesn't sit on the board, yet he always answers our calls and returns our emails right away. And I asked him that maybe a year ago or a couple of years ago. I said, Seth, why, why are you always there for us, man? Like, you don't owe us anything, right? You don't have any obligation to us. He's like, Jimmy, because you guys have never wasted my time. He's like, when you ask me for something, I give you advice, whether you use it or not, that's up to you. But you're, you're always thoughtful, you're always respectful, and you take that advice and, and you do with it what you will. Uh, and I, I think that that is an important piece too, because like now I'm in a position where people ask me for advice, which is super humbling, you know, young entrepreneurs getting started saying, hey, I see the journey that Super Coffee's on, what would you do if you were me? And unfortunately, a lot of people do waste time, you know, or a lot of people will reach out to me in January saying, hey, can you give me advice on my Yerba Mate company? And then in June, they're like, hey, Jimmy, the Yerba Mate thing didn't work out. Can you give me advice on my kombucha company? You know, and then by December, they're like, you know what? The kombucha thing didn't work out. So can you give me a, you know what I mean? Like they're yeah. constantly rotating through things. And, and to me, that is a waste of time. Make it super easy for me to say yes. Like set it up for me. Give me a layup here. You know what I mean? Don't make me work for answers from you. What's, what's a good example of not wasting someone's time when you're reaching out for anything that you need some some consulting, some advice for. How, how would you go about that? Because I, I think that's really 
really applicable to just about anyone listening. Yeah, I think having very specific questions to very specific problems, right? Like a question like, how should I get started? <laughs> God bless you. Good luck. You know, but if it's like, hey, I got this distributor. I noticed that you guys are also with the same distributor. Their contract is tough. They're, they're, what would you do or what did you guys do to the extent that you can share that it's not confidential, right? That, like something like that, that's super specific. It's one question, you know, or clearly lay out the questions ahead of time, you know, come prepared with the questions, follow up with the questions. Another move that I like is putting the ball back in their court or giving them a hoop to jump through where it's like, uh, hey, Mr. DeSico, do you have time to, to speak to me? It's like, sure. What are the five biggest problems you're facing right now? I'm happy to help where I can. And believe it or not, man, most of the time, people don't even reply to that. They don't even send me the problems that they want to talk about. And I mean, that's a very clear, it's a very clear qualifier or disqualifier for me. That's so funny because sometimes I'm on the receiving end of that and I'm like, I know what you're doing. You're weeding out the people that aren't serious. And that's great. That's a great strategy for them. And that just, that helps you know, this would have been a waste of time to try to answer this and okay. to reach out. Same with people like, hey, can you sponsor me as an athlete? It's like, okay, what do you play? Like, what do you do? Tell me more. Like, you know, just come for more prepared um, with the ask and don't, don't overwhelm us either. You know what I mean? With a yeah. thousand questions. Let's, That's really good. Let's stay on that. Let's stay on that for a second, because especially I'm sure you guys got hit up all the time when the, the new NIL rules changed. Like I, <laughs> oh, I was yeah. in Oh, yeah. oh my God. And every day it was a, a, a soccer player at a D3 school or a cross country runners like, Hey, Mr. DeSico, I play sports at this university and would you sponsor me? And good kudos to the kids for repping themselves. Oh, yeah. Right. Like I would have done the same shit if this, this was allowed when I was in college. Uh, but it was always unclear what, like, I think a lot of people, and this is the, the problem with professional sports is a lot of young athletes think that just because they play sports, they deserve something. Right. And then from a brand's perspective, it's like, what do we get in return, right? Because now, you know, every dollar you spend has to have some sort of ROI attached to it, right? So if I'm going to spend $10,000 sponsoring a student athlete, well, I'm not going to do that if I only get $1,000 in value back, right? Like you wouldn't, you wouldn't spend $30 for one bottle of super coffee if your neighbor's buying it for three bucks, right? So like, I, I guess, how do you qualify people who reach out asking for, for sponsorship? It's like an ask and an offer. You know, what are you asking for and what are you offering, right? Like, hey, Mason, I play football at Colgate University. I recognize we're a, a small school. You know, we're not going to be playing in the national championship next year. But I send out a weekly newsletter to 5,000 alumni. I'd be honored to put Athletic Brewing as my sponsor in exchange for a few free cases of product. Like to me, that's totally a different conversation than sponsor me. You know, totally. like it's there's there's thoughtfulness to it. There's an offer to it, uh, and I think the more specific and the more prepared you can be, the more value you're going to get from outreach. Absolutely, and product is always so much easier than money. From you know, I'm sure it's the same for y'all. And you know, frankly, I'd rather have the product in your hand anyway. I got a couple more questions, and then a few rapid fire, and then we can wrap it up, man. You know, I want to know, you know, this was something that you didn't know when early on, if this was going to be what you, you, you did for a while. It sounds like it wasn't a long-term plan originally, but it has become that. Uh, what, what would you say is one of the largest misconceptions about being a CEO uh, of a company like this, growing at this level with this kind of hype and, and just this kind of momentum? 
What would you say was a misconception about thinking about what that would be like versus what it's actually like? Yeah, this is a tricky one because the misconception is um, people are very congratulatory of the progress, right? And and I think it's part of what makes the story so interesting is like, wow, you guys have done something so unique and so remarkable. Congrats on all the success, the headlines, the valuations, you know, the, the new accounts, the distribution everything they see the highlights right they see where we've come from a dorm room to where we are today don't get me wrong like i'm super proud of that uh but it's tough for me to see it's tough for me to view the business at as only the the positives and the bright side because when you're in the business and and from my seat you see everything that's wrong you know you see the stores that you're not in you see the the where the gross margin actually is versus where it could be or should be right you see cash a, a business that's burning money instead of making money, you know, and, and I think misconceptions, at least where I come from in, in a small town of Kingston, New York, people read a headline, super coffee raises a hundred million dollars. They think the three DeSico brothers are, are millionaires, you know, and, and it just doesn't work that way. Right. Our business is still not profitable. Uh, we are certainly not millionaires. All we make from a cash perspective is our, our modest salaries. Um, so it's, it's kind of like living two realities where people, are putting you up on this pedestal for this amazing thing that you've built versus the reality of, I mean, look, we're not paycheck to paycheck. We live good lives. Um, but we're freaking grinding every day for, for the meal ticket. You know, we're, we're, we're showing up to work. And it's, it's not a guarantee. It is not a guarantee. Yeah. There's no guarantees, you know? And, and, uh, I think that's been a tricky, a tricky balance. Like also I'm not good at receiving compliments, so I gotta, I gotta work on that, but it's like, thank you so much. If only you saw the, that I have to deal with every day. Your, your, your compliments might be a little bit different. Yeah. And, and, and I think from the people who understand the journey, maybe hopefully those compliments are a little more nuanced. You know what I mean? People who've been through it themselves, like, hey, it's looking good. You know, how you feeling? How you really feeling? And uh, yeah, exactly. so that, that's interesting, man. So, so you know, obviously that, that has come with a lot of, like you said, headlines and rewards and attention. Has there been an award to you that that was maybe a little more special than, than another or, or maybe one that comes to mind initially? I know like 30 under 30 and, and there's been a lot. There's been a lot. Is there one that sticks out to you that's like no matter what happens, I, I'm very I'm going to hold on to this for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. And there's three big awards that come to mind that I'm not going to choose, but I'll tell you. So Forbes 30 under 30 class of 2019 was a huge honor. Uh, Ernst and Young EY Entrepreneurs of the Year 2020, huge honor, right? There's a, there's a, both very esteemed categories, and then 2021 BevNet Brand of the Year, where the previous years was Body Armor, you know, it was Oatly, it was like the billion multi billion dollar brand, so like all great honors, but none of them really felt like they mattered to us. The one that mattered the most was 2020. Through, during COVID, uh, we had about 75 employees. We, we didn't lay off anybody. We didn't re- uh, furlough anybody. Uh, and the team, all 75 of them, uh, had to vote for, for this award. And, and we were uh, awarded one of Inc's, Inc. Magazine's best places to work. So company culture, I think, 
to, to us was, I mean, that was the award that it made me cry, you know, just because it was such a hard year to, to decide what to do with the team, with the employees and at the expense of profitability, you know, like we kept everybody on, we, we did our best to, to do it right. And I'm, I'm sure we made mistakes, you know, and I'm sure we did things wrong, but the gratitude that the team showed by voting yes for that award, uh, that, that mattered more than all the other ones. Cause that's an award that people from the inside gave you. Um, well, man, if we can, I got a couple rapid fire questions I want to jump into. They don't have to be one word, maybe a phrase or two. Uh, and then we'll wrap this thing up, man. All right. Let me get a sip of the super coffee. I, <laughs> go ahead. I, fin- I finished I mine. So I'm all out. Uh, so I'm feeling okay, good. We're ready. Uh, all go. right. What are you most curious about right now outside of outside of super coffee and outside of entrepreneurialism? Like what, what are you most curious about? Uh, I am most curious about events, um, hosting events, you know, my buddy Devin and I have this ranch down here in Austin and oftentimes we host super coffee events at them, but really figuring out what, what more is possible with this building that we've built and this property that we have really. So events is the answer. It's it's not rapid fire, but events. If I, if we had time, I would definitely get into the ranch because I think that's yeah, pretty- be part two. That's awesome. Proudest achievement outside of anything associated with Super Coffee. Oh, proudest achievement. These are these are tough ones. Yeah, I think um, it's a funny one, but my relationship with my girlfriend. You know, it's it's not really an achievement. It's not something I accomplished, but we have a great, healthy relationship that's been awesome. So my relationship, yeah. What is your biggest goal not yet achieved? And that can definitely be business related. Biggest goal not yet achieved. I think uh, the, the, the obvious one is getting super coffee to a positive outcome, right? Whether that's an IPO, whether that's selling to Coca-Cola, making a return for our investors, putting money in all of our employees' pockets. Uh, I think we have a lot, a long way to go to get there. And a lot of things need to, we need to do a lot of things right. Um, so I'm, I'm motivated and excited to, to solve those problems. Is there a hobby you have that folks don't know, or you don't talk about a whole lot? Yeah. Something I enjoy doing that I haven't done as much as I want to is archery, um, shooting arrows at targets, uh, bow hunting is, is something that I, I started doing, uh, in my early twenties, um, grew up in upstate New York. So archery is something that I, I really enjoy doing. Daily habit you always stick to or try to at least. Daily uh, some type of movement, you know, it could be five minutes of stretching in the morning. It could be a a two hour run. Uh, I got to move my body, uh, usually in the morning to, to really get me set up and, and move and feeling good for the day. Favorite athletic brewing beer. Run wild. That's it, baby. That is, that is my favorite. Uh, the, my second favorite or soon to be favorite is souped up. If you haven't know, if you haven't heard, you'll, 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 you'll know pretty soon. Uh, but run wild is my favorite right now. Oh yeah. We're, I'm going to go in, in the intro. I'll, I'll go into detail about souped up on every can of beer. It says brew without compromise. And we believe on this show, this show is called without compromise. And the reason is to do anything, you know, to brew without compromise that you, you can't just like do something excellently. And then that's it. You kind of have to live this whole life without compromise. It has to be like who you are and, and how you live your whole life. What does it mean to you to not just brew without compromise, you know, with super coffee, uh, but to live without compromise? What does that mean to you? I think staying true to 
yourself authentically, meaning not seeing what's popular on Instagram and following a trend because other people are doing it, right? Not living your life because you care about what other people think. That was a hard thing for me to overcome in my 20s. I, I turned 30 at the end of the last year. And, and I, I think that I'm getting more comfortable doing things that I authentically do, saying no to things that I would want to say yes to. Um, so without compromise is really being true to myself for me, not in a selfish way, but in a way that is authentic rather than in a way like when, when my friends would invite me to go out to a bar and I would reluctantly say yes to me, that felt like a compromise because I didn't want to drink. You know, I wanted to be at home going to sleep early and, and, uh, I was almost peer pressured into doing things. And, um, now I've, I've sort of got the, the fortitude to say no to things that don't really align with, uh, where, who I am authentically. Well, there you have it, folks. That is part of Jimmy DeSico's story. He's been a guest on many podcasts. I encourage you to check out more if you want to hear more of their story. Check out Souped Up at athleticbrewing.com. And also, we have an amazing jingle slash commercial for this collaboration that I really encourage you to check out. It's hilarious. I'll link it in the show notes. And until next time, keep living without compromise and uh, stay, stay souped up. Let's go.